You're listening to The Bunker New York, live on Red Bull Radio. Hello, you're listening to The Bunker New York on Red Bull Radio. I'm your host, Brian Kasnick. Here today with special guest Turtle Bug. He's going to be playing throughout the show. We'll stop for an interview in the middle. And um, he's playing all vinyl. He bought a big, big bag of records. And right now we're going to get right into the mix with Turtle Bug. You're listening to The Bunker New York on Red Bull Radio.
I will get you, 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 I will get you,
I'm really down, playing the games you do. I said, you ain't really down. Your love was never true. Your love was never true. Would I bet my life on it? I would have taken odds this time. That you were the one for me, baby. How could I be so blind? Gave all my love and you used and abused it. I'm really down, really down. Playing the games you do. Playing the games you do. I said, oh, you ain't a really down. down. Your love was never true. Your love was never no, no, true. No, no, no. I said, oh, you ain't a really down. Really down. Playing the games you do. Playing the games you oh, do. Oh, girl, I said, oh, you ain't a really down. down. Your love was never true. Your love was never true. You ain't really down, cause I know you've been sticking around, been telling the lies, just an alibi. And you think to yourself, I'm so sly, but the games you play won't work today, cause I never believe another word you say. See, I know the deal, you've been playing the field. You just I really down, really down. Playing the games you do. Playing the games you oh, do. Oh, girl, I said, oh, you ain't a really down. down. Your love was never true. Your love was never oh, true. Oh, girl, I said, oh, you ain't really down. Really down. Playing the games you do. Playing the games no, you no, do. No, 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 I said, oh, you ain't really down. down. Your love was never true. Your love was never true. No, 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 baby, you ain't really down. I don't want you no more, no, no, you just walk out that door. Hey, baby, I gave all my love to you. You used and abused it. Now look what you go and do. There was nothing to it. Oh, you ain't really down. Really down. Down. Your love was never true. Your love was never no, true. No, I said I knew. Ain't a really down. Really down. Playing the games you do. Playing the games. No, you no, do. no, I said I knew. Ain't a really down. down. Your love was never true. Your love was never true. Got to be. Down, 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 down
to Red Bull Radio. Da 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 da
listening to The Bunker New York on Red Bull Radio. I'm your host, Brian Kathnick. We've been in the mix with Turtle Bug for about the last hour, and we're going to talk to him for a while now. Um, so are you are you from the New York area? I'm from Teaneck, New Jersey, which is South 15 South. minutes over the George Washington Bridge. Okay. So I spent most of my time in New York, like in the Heights and Harlem and stuff like that. Okay. And you're telling me your grandfather had a club in Harlem? Uh, he still does. It's called the Cotton Club. Um, it's like the continuation of the jazz club, the original Cotton Club from like the 20s. Uh, he opened in 77. So he's actually okay. been the longest running one. Uh, yeah, I worked there from like, I was 15 till about two years ago. Or something like that. In the same building as the original one, or he just No, did? this is the third location. It was first uptown somewhere in the one forties. Then they tried to move it downtown, but that didn't work at all. And then it was closed for like at least twenty or thirty years before he opened it in seven in the seventies. Interesting. So he got he just somehow had the rights to the name and the uh, brand. he just bought the rights. Oh. And you know, because they were at that point, they must have been public domain or something like that. But yeah, right. He bought them from whoever. And you, you worked there doing what? Um, a little <laughs> bit of everything. I, I was a waiter. I did the sound. I was the bartender, cashier. I, you know, I was his grandson, so he made me do everything. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and is that is that kind of what got you into music in general? In general, or were you into music and then wanting to work in the club because of that? Or well, that was just like doing the family business. Right. But music's always been a part of our lives. I'd say my mom listened to the radio a lot when I was little, like. Er- Kiss FM, which doesn't exist anymore. It's now like ESPN or something stupid like that. And 107.5. So back then the radio was really cool. And I definitely hear 
when I hear records now, I was like, oh, I heard that on the radio when I was a baby. Yeah. Like, and it always like, that happens a lot. And then my dad was is just really into music. He's really into Parliament Funkadelic. Okay. So that's, he took me to my first concert, which was them. And he always, he always played vinyl in the house. How, how old were you for that first concert? Somewhere between the ages of 10 and 12. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was pretty, it was pretty serious. <laughs> and you were into the band at that point. He had been playing it my whole life. So it was just, it's yeah, the it like earliest the... music that I can remember. It is Funkadelic, like Atomic Dog and Flashlight. Right. So yeah, I never disliked it. I guess I got into it more as I got, appreciated it more as I got older. Yeah. So it was just always a thing. But vinyl was like in your life from yeah. a young age. Yeah, he played records like every weekend. He would listen to a certain, I forget exactly what it was, but it was like a classic soul and R&B Sunday morning thing. And then he would play records throughout the day. That was always, and you know, just with black people, there's like always DJs around. Like I never right. even thought about DJing. It was just like you always knew someone who DJed. Right. <laughs> it just it just kind of was. But your the dad thing. wasn't a DJ. It's more of a. I heard that he tried briefly <laughs> in the seventies or eighties or something like that. I don't think it really went anywhere. But yeah. So you kind of picked up record collecting from him. Yeah, but the first collection I got it was my mom and my grandparents on her side. I got their collection. And then I think I got a few things from his father, my grandfather, as well. And that's where it started. But that's when I was also just buying records from like Turntable Lab. Right. That's, those were my first purchases, honestly, were from Turntable Lab. And then eventually, how did you... I mean, you've been involved in kind of a lot of different aspects of the music industry in New York already. And you're still a pretty young guy. So like what uh, was the plant music thing your first... The first, first thing was as soon as I turned 21, I interned for Mean Red Productions under Jen oh, Lyon. Oh, I think. And, I, and that's where I, I first I'm, met you. Yeah, I was thinking I first met you through Plant, but now that you mentioned that, yeah, 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 that's right. Because it was when you were, it was when we were all still at Public Assembly. Right. So I would go to those shows because I just worked in the building. Right. So like I would just go downstairs. <laughs> and just come and be like, this is dope. <laughs> that's yeah. right, because she had her odds, like part of mm -hmm. her deal with them. She had that office up there. Yeah. So that's where I first started. And when I was done with that, I started work. I started working for Plant and somewhere in between there, I stopped going to school because I was like, I want to do this full time. So you were in college and stopped going to college or you stopped going to? I stopped going to college. Yeah. yeah. I did a few years. I did a few years upstate at Manhattan, like one year at Manhattanville, a few years back home at the public school. And I was just getting more into it. And I was like, mm, I'm just going to go for this. Right. See Instead of goes. what were you studying at school that you decided? Oh, man. <sighs> Business management. <laughs> <laughs> so this was like right in the middle of the financial crisis. And I was like, I don't think this is a good idea. Yeah. I know a lot of people with degrees not doing anything. So Right. And then you started doing the plant music thing? Yeah, I interned for plant music and that quickly became me being like the label manager. And I was just helping do get the releases out, helping book shows, uh, get remixers for stuff. I helped him put together that few compilations that he did. It's called like Love Me. Um, I put Beto 
Beto Cravioto part of a FBI warning. I put his first, I like really pushed him to make his first record come out. Right. For Plant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So yeah. And then we were also booking, remember we were booking Lorelei. Dom was booking. Yeah. I think that's that. See, that's when I very like, that's That's when we like some of my earliest remember you when he was like, yo, this kid's running my label. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, Um, yeah. So yeah, because Dom was also running Dominique Keegan, who, uh, Used to own Plant Bar, where LCD Sound System started. For those that don't know, he ran Plant Music, which was the label aspect of it. Yeah, I mean, Plant Bar was, I'm trying to think, probably like late 90s, early 2000s, yeah. was mm-hmm. just huge. Metro Area was playing there. And yeah, exactly. yeah, all the LCD Sound System guys were like playing there, bartending there. Yeah. yeah that was quite the scene. Um, and then at some point, you start working at the thing. So am I am I jumping ahead? <laughs> no, that sounds about right. That's in the same time frame. Uh, I don't remember how we became friends with Willie Burns. I I believe it was Chung, my label partner, who I run basement floor with. He tried to intern for Willie Burns, which in retrospect is hilarious if you actually know the dude. I I. <laughs> No, it's good. I can't even imagine. This is us like 22, <laughs> really like eager. He like saw him at Dope Jams and like went up to him and was like, Yo, can I intern for you? And of course, we was like, Oh, I don't know. I, I kind of do it all myself. <laughs> so, and then he just kept in touch with him. And then I met him. I think I met, I connected through Willie because I had him remix a song that I put out, on, that I helped put out on Plant Music. I don't remember which one it was. But that's how me and Willie finally connected. And I just was like, if you ever need help at the thing, I'd be down. And I believe one time the basement flooded. He's like, yo, we need some extra help. So if you've ever been to the thing, for those that don't know, it's crazy. There's records everywhere. The basement's full of records. When I mean full, we have at least a million records in that store. There's like like rows of records behind records. Yeah, there's records you can't get to. So we had to take every crate from the bottom, that's on the bottom, every crate, every record, and we had to dump it in a dumpster. And it took like two days, a day and a half, and it was the sorest I've ever been in my life. Yeah, so you're just carrying them up those crappy stairs. Well, not even those crappy stairs, the stairs that go to the street. Oh, okay. Which is like under a grate. Right, yeah, yeah. I know the I know the type <laughs> I know the type of stairs. I had one under my old building. It was rough. But um, that was like my hazing into it. So I've been there ever since. So were you uh, like a customer there before then or only like a few times before yeah. I started actually. Yeah, I used to I worked in uh, like Northern Greenpoint from uh, about 2000 to 2004. Mm-hmm. So I was in there almost daily around then because I walked by it on the way to work. Yeah, so just yeah. go in like, where's, try to get them to tell me where the new crates were. Sometimes they would tell me, sometimes they wouldn't. Uh, but I, I honestly haven't been back too many times since then. I don't uh, really have the, the lungs for it these days. Yeah, I use Willie as the barometer. I'm like, Willie's okay. He's been here for a decade. So I'm good for a decade at least. He's pretty healthy. <laughs> For someone who's been in there. So he much, was there when it was dirty. Yeah. It's, it's clean now. Yeah. It was, it was really bad when I was there. <laughs> it's really, really bad. And would you, I'm, I've always wondered about this. Do they, is there a certain point where records get, like, I know you're saying you threw some away because it flooded, but do they throw records away? We're the constantly throwing records away every day, all the time. Like, 
moldy ones, ones that are too scratched, Barbara Streisand, like all that stuff. But stuff that's been out or just stuff that comes in and you can't, you don't, it doesn't even make it to the floor. You just throw it away before it even. We try, we, we can't filter at all. People think there's this idea that we get all the good stuff beforehand. It's impossible. You don't understand. We'll get like 40 crates at once and I'm unloading a truck at the same time. Right. So they're just, it, I try and go through what I can to just get the garbage out so that there's not more piles of garbage. <laughs> but, so. but you've still, I mean, you must be pulling some gems being like seeing this stuff come in off the, I imagine this is from purchasing collections. Yeah. And it's also like a one's throwaways. That's yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's what I've heard. They get first shot and then, yeah, it's the same owners. The same owner of A1 in the thing. So when A1 runs out of room, they send it to us. You know, like we've had this for too long. Like they're two dollar records and or just piles of mold. Cause they don't have a they don't have like a dumpster like we do. So they can't really get rid of all of them. So they just send us their garbage. <laughs> the straight garbage records. <laughs> so yeah, we're garbage men. I say right. that all the time. So what's the weirdest thing you've ever seen happen at the thing? Man, I mean, the, the shittiest thing was this dude, like we don't let everyone use the bathroom cause like there's a lot of like halfway house dudes up there and just like yeah, general yeah. like degenerates. Greenpoint's always been that and, way. This one time this dude, we couldn't, we didn't let him use the bathroom. And I think he like pissed in a cup and like left it there. So I come downstairs and I just see this bottle of piss and I, and I had just, like remade all the stacks and now the stacks were undone and there was a thing of piss there and he was the only one who had been in that area i'm like this motherfucker so i go upstairs look on the cameras and i see him as the only one there i don't see him like actually pissed because he kind of like you can't see it but it was definitely him who pissed there and left it there so i go up to him i'm like yo what's this he's like i don't know i'm like you don't know what this is i just redid <laughs> these crates this morning you're the only one who's been here i watch the cameras what is this shit He's like, I don't know. I'll clean it up, though. I'm like, oh, yeah, all right. You'll clean up some <laughs> random yellow piss and it ain't yours. Cool, man. Thanks. And then another dude like pissed on the records because we wouldn't let him use the bathroom. There's a lot of like weird bathroom stuff going on. Well, because you have to stay there for a very long time. People end up yeah, staying there go, for a long time. Go to McDonald's, get some fries, <laughs> piss in there and come back. Yo, like, I don't get it. And you have, do you, have you must have people who are in there all the time. Oh yeah, there's regulars, you know, there's dudes, there's like Polish dudes who come for just for Polish music. There's a few people who come for just the classical people. There's this Jamaican dude who comes for the 45s and he's always complaining that we don't have new 45s. And I'm just like, I don't know what to tell you, dude. Look, it's just the same box, man. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I know. What do you want order, me to do? Order some new ones. Just taking up all the space. A lot of... There's this dude who comes in like hazmat suit and like freaks everyone out. He like comes in like full, full suit. It's ridiculous. Are the records still completely unsorted there? Like, oh, completely. So like the classical dude just I, randomly. I try to put all the classical up front because whenever I, no one's digging for classical. Like, <laughs> not as the thing. No, because most classical in, people, yeah. they they do dig for records, but they're very, very particular exactly. about they the condition want, of the records. It they're not perfect. They're not going to a place like the no. thing looking for classical records. No. That would be absurd. So whenever I see them just downstairs or like too far in the back, I take it up, put it up front for a little bit, let it rock, and then I throw it out if it doesn't, <laughs> like after a month, because what's the point? 
Wow, the trash bill at the thing must be pretty crazy. Just, I imagine so. Because <laughs> we do a lot of, we have the scheduled pickups and then a lot of extra pickups. So Wow. Yeah. Yet still, every record in the thing is still $2. $2. Well, $2 for 12 inches, $1 for 10 inches, 50 cents for 45s. I think $2 was the price when I was going there in the early 2000s, though. Maybe it was a dollar? I think it was briefly a dollar in the very beginning. Yeah, so... But, yeah, you. I mean, it's, it's the not ultimate... not going up with inflation. It's the ultimate come-up. Uh, it's not for everybody. This is very true. Uh, but I always tell people that you come there to discover. You don't go there looking well, yeah, for something specific. So what if you let you played you're playing all vinyl mm -hmm. is that on that radio show today but that's pretty much all the time right Yeah I don't know how to use CDJs well yet so I'm I started on Serato to be honest uh, and I'm not the greatest mixer I I admit it so but I definitely feel that just between the jump from Serato to vinyl I've become a much better DJ and so what what percentage do you think of your records that like you're playing today or playing in general or in your collection are actually from the thing is that like the main your main source for records it's i was looking at my collection the other day and i was trying to figure out like where most of these came from i'd say in order of most records it's like thing trips to detroit right dope jams and like a little discogs but not really i used to do that a little more but i was never that crazy yeah. about it um i try not to order from overseas anymore just because i'd like to support american record stores as much as possible uh i try not to even order records too much anymore i try to go get them in person go to the new york shops because like everybody can't give up man <laughs> I, I mean i get I totally give a pass to all the OGs that are like, yo, I'm done. I'm not doing it no more. I'm like, yeah, I did it. And I get that and I respect that. But I don't know, man. A lot of these CDJ DJs that I see ain't really doing it for me. Like there's not a lot of feeling and it's a little too easy. I'm not saying everyone has to play all vinyl, but... People should learn, man. The art's kind of getting lost, I feel like. It's a little weird to me to think, as somebody who like learned and played for years and years on vinyl, to think about like the CDJs do make it easier, but without the knowledge of learning how to play on vinyl, like that's... And just how to search for... Like, everyone's playing the same songs, like, you know, Bergine top 10 playlists. Like, what, what did Marcel Detman play? Like, yeah, that's cool, man, but what about finding something that catches your ear on your own i really like playing records that i don't hear other people play yeah that's kind of i think that should I'm be into. the goal for most djs if you can or to contextualize things in a in your own way plus i also feel that there's just better music on vinyl than there is that's just digital well there's a lot more for sure yeah like the history of vinyl is much deeper than and if everyone just came to the thing for like two days, they'd realize that all of the bullshit that they're listening to and trying to create has already been done. So it There's would really like open, it would really open minds if people really listen to this shit. Cause a lot of the stuff I'm hearing is like, same old stuff, man. Black woman vocal, 808 drum. Like it's been done already, yo. Very well. And 
I don't know. Right. I would like more people to be down. So are you speaking of production? Are you doing your own productions now? Uh, slowly but surely. I'm really hard on myself. There was a point where I was just deleting everything that I didn't like, which was everyone told me was a bad idea. So I've stopped doing that. Just completely deleting the... Just completely. Like spending Whoa. like a day on it, waking up the next day like, this sucks, and just deleting the whole thing. And like, there'd be even people like, yo, that was dope, dude. Because I lived with Sagatsky, who I do sublimate with. We lived together for a bit. Oh, yeah, we haven't mentioned sublimate yet. So he would hear me doing shit. And then he'd, the next day he'd be like, yo, where's that track? I'd be like, nah, I deleted that, man. He's like, are you fucking serious? What's wrong with you? He was the first person to be like, yo, stop deleting everything you make. Yeah, because you don't have to pay attention to it, but you can't yeah. undelete it. So how how did you uh, meet Sagatsky and what led to this partnership? Did did you guys like start Sublimate together or? No, uh, Sagatsky started Sublimate. Who did he? He started it with like Gaddis and, and Efren, like his homies. They like knew each other and he had... He was doing it at Donna for a while, actually. That's where he like first did it. He did it at like the cocktail club. And it was just like know that place. It's in Williamsburg, and it's a cocktail club which many of my friends and cohorts have played at for money. And so he did it there a few times. Then he made the jump to like trying to do like, uh, you know, like a warehouse party. And we were just homies. And we both broke up with our girlfriends at the same time. And I got kicked. I left my place. His girl left his place. So I moved in with him. And we just became friends, like, much closer than we were. Because we were always cool, but we came a lot closer, of course. Right. And he would always just be like, yo, what do you think of this for Sublimate? And he'd had Phil and I as soul to soul. He'd had us play a few times. And eventually he's just like, yo, you want to help me? Oh yeah, and uh, Jason Fellows from Discovery was right, also that's right. when Discovery was like ending as a party. He was one of the main residents for Sublimate yeah, before and then, he moved to Berlin, and then he was moving to Berlin. So I was kind of like Jason's replacement. Yeah, we had we had that happen a few times at the bunker where <laughs> our resident moved to Berlin. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah, somebody else had to step up. It's been it's been I think it's been good for both of us. Honestly, it's been really good because it allowed me to play regularly. And I just, I don't know. We both influenced, influenced each other pretty nicely. Like, I'd never really listened to Aphex Twin before. And, he, I mean, I'm always listening to some random weird shit, so. Cool. So what, so you're, you throw the parties with him? You're just the resident DJ? I you... also help with the booking and, yeah, like. So where, where are you guys doing the parties these days? I know it's. <sighs> That's a good question, huh? So I know there's the, the legendary <laughs> Taffy Loft. Yeah. Um, which I... Taffy I, was the main... That's what I affiliate with that the was party. Our, that was our main... We were the ones that did parties the most there, I feel like. Yeah, for sure. We knew how to do it well. But like with the recent New York crackdown in like the last year, kind of had to slow down on that. Um, We've been doing them at Sugar Hill. We've been doing it wherever we we don't like to do places that everyone else is using all the time when yeah, it comes is, to like which makes things underground venues which be, makes things really well whether it's underground venue or not that makes it really hard in new york right now yeah i feel because i feel the same way but also there's so many people doing parties it's that crazy even right if now you could find your own space that no one's ever used 
and two weeks after you use it, there's going to be. I mean, also like when we start, when when Sublimate was like just starting and getting our feet up, and only like parties like in our realm, where it was like you, Black Market, Resolute. That was it. Like there wasn't like a lot of other people doing like big house and techno stuff. Yeah, I mean, I kind of associate you guys with kind of um, I don't know the bossa nova, like early bossa nova scene where you guys were yeah. playing there a lot, and then yourself and uh like the summers and a bunch of a bunch of people who were playing there regularly kind of like broke out and zach kearns and people who were like went from djing at bossa or doing like a really low risk thing at bossa to moving on to like bigger things exactly and then like before that i think there was a whole bunch of you all at once so all of a sudden there were all these new brands and parties in new york yeah definitely they followed up first out of bossa lost soul and um the long count yep and then Aurora was already doing her thing in that. Also, it was kind of more like a meeting place for people that were like maybe not necessarily all in the same scene, but it was similar enough. Yeah, I feel like in the same place yeah. and all like coming up, which I think that's what Basa was. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for its place in the scene just for kind of bringing all these new people into it and kind of showing them like, oh, you can do it. You can play and you can throw a party and... Yeah, those, I, the first three years were really magical. Uh, I miss those times, honestly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I remember, yeah, probably in that era, going into Basa and seeing, like, the same faces. Whenever yeah. I wasn't in there all that often, but whenever I did, like, I'd see you and Jackie and... Yeah, yeah it was all definitely these a family yeah. kind of thing. Um, so have you started playing, I feel like you're still somewhat of a New York secret. Have you... Uh, you've played some gigs outside of New York, though. Yeah, everyone's always like, "Do you have an agent?" I'm like, no. If anyone wants to get down, hit me <laughs> up. <laughs> I mean, I've never. I don't know. I, I've been to Europe twice. Um. Yeah, I've played in Baltimore. I've played in Detroit. You were at Sustain this weekend. This is uh, Sustain this weekend. I guess that's kind of New York. Yeah, it's I mean. New York. But, uh, you know, my last, the last time I went to Europe was like the real time and I kind of put that together myself. That was cool. I hit up. Sagatsky and I played Printworks in London together. So that was cool. And then, um, what else did I do? Played in Copenhagen. Like I have a lot of friends in Copenhagen. That's kind of like my base when I go there. I mean, I feel like this is the way to get your foot in the door in Europe anyways, really, is just through personal connections, friends, people that want to book you versus getting a booking agent who's somehow going to, like, convince clubs to book you. That's usually how it gets going anyways. Exactly. And then also on that same tour, I hit up Italy and then Berlin when I played P-Bar. Well, that's a good one. Yeah, that was nice. (laughs) Although... Italy was really dope too. I was I had no idea what to expect at all. They like hit me up on Facebook randomly and I went with it and it was really tight. Nice. So, but that's that's kind of what I was speaking to before. I, maybe not friends, but somebody who reaches out to you personally early on in your career, they really really want to book you is going to throw a really great event versus something a booking agent shoves you into perhaps. Yeah. Um well, speaking of getting out of New York, are you are you still planning on moving out of New York? Is that still yeah, a thing? I'm out of here. I had enough. <laughs> so I've what's enough. what's the plan? Where are you going? I'm moving to Detroit. Uh, I'm actually going there this week to go check some stuff out, find like a place to actually live. 
but yeah, moving February-ish. So what what brought you to this decision? A lot of things. Uh, I feel like a lot of things that I've given my time to haven't been as fruitful as it should have been. Not that I should be like bigger or making more money or anything like that. But like I said, there was like a magic three years ago that I felt that has definitely died down in a way. I know everyone's always like, oh, it's so great right now. But I think it was actually like we kind of peaked a few some like a, like I feel like last summer, not this one, but last summer and that in that year that was for like like you said like my generation of like partners yeah, like we were kind of killing it. I remember talking to you at Fourth World last year, and you were just like on cloud nine, like I can't believe I'm a part of yeah something like this. I never thought this would happen. So you yeah. were very, you were very optimistic. Quickly, young man a year ago <laughs> quickly changed quickly changed stuff happened and people people changed and it's like and then i'd like took a look around and i was like okay so a lot of the things that were keeping me here aren't really here anymore and i'm paying all this money and i just don't like the feel of new york city right now Right. So what are you what are you looking for in Detroit or what do you think you're going to find in Detroit that you're not that you're not getting here right now? Space. Oh yeah. Uh, Definitely get that. I'm like out of room for my records already. So right. like that's space, saving up money, being able to focus. Not hustle know. quite so hard maybe. There's also this pipe dream I have of cataloging the history of house and techno in a proper way so that it can be recognized in the way that jazz is, because I feel that jazz is studied in a very academic way. And even hip hop is starting to be a oh, little yeah, bit. for sure. But house and techno is still not really. It doesn't get the respect. And- There's definitely books there to are, be written. <laughs> and a lot, and we're also at a point where a lot of the people are aging out or a lot of like the founders have already passed on. Right. So, and there's a lot of history that's getting lost rapidly at the moment. And I don't, I feel like someone needs to catalog it. I don't know. We'll see. It's a nice dream. I'm definitely going to give it a shot. We'll see what happens. I don't know what the final end game is. I think maybe a book would be, or like a series of books. But I definitely, there's a lot of people that have been overlooked and things. For instance, there's this one big thing that I always think about. It was called deephousepage.com. Yeah, I, I remember that. You remember that? Yeah, of course. Do you remember how good it was? Yeah. Like, is in it the gone? Early, is it gone? It went down for a little bit and it came back up, but they lost like all that original, all oh. those discussions. And some of that, some of that shit I've never seen anywhere else in books. Right. Like, cause it was a community of like people who were going out specifically in New York, Detroit, and Chicago. And they were telling the history there was yeah. things I've learned there uh, that pointed me in the direction of other things that I really didn't know about. Like there was a lot of information on T. Scott, who right. was like very influential in New York and on the garage and Zan, you know, Zanzibar. Yep. And he played all those places and he's not really as well known, but there was a lot of information and there were like mixes from him and all yeah, kinds of shit. There were so many great mixes up there. And that went down and I don't know if all the stuff is properly archived. So, and that's what 
was like, yo, it need, someone needs to do it because that got me into a lot of things that I just had no idea about. And I want, and I really want to get black youth like back into house and techno. I, I'm always trying to figure out how to do it. And I feel like if they knew the history, they just don't know. Yeah, and they're not hearing it. They're not hearing it and they don't know. And they're, I'm not saying I'm gonna like change anything, but maybe a few kids will see it and get interested like I did. Cool. So you've got a lot of work cut out for you in Detroit. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't do can't do that shit here, man. Yeah. Well, you've got to hustle too hard. I yeah, think in I New can't. York, it's it's hard to do big projects like that. No. Well, uh, with that, should we get back into the mix? We've got about 35 minutes left here. Cool. Do you have anything else you want to uh, hype up? Uh, you know, upcoming releases, oh, parties. Well, you did mention earlier that. Uh, getting it uh, about my production i have a remix of a love letters track that mike's actually been playing a lot yeah i heard him play that when we played together in paris yeah did you hear yeah. the one with my voice on it yeah that's dope <laughs> <laughs> that's your is the one with your voice your yeah track okay well it's my re I, we i remixed it with maxime okay so yeah so that's my fir first official release i guess or credit when is that out? Do you know? Uh, he just got the test presses. I'm gonna go pick them up actually later today. But I don't, I'd say in like a month or two, I guess, before the end of the year. Great. And then also Basement Floor, the label I run, uh, eventually sometime in the next few months, we're putting out uh, EP by, uh, what is it? I think they call it Floppy Life. And that's um that's Kai Alsay and Stefan Ringer. Oh, nice. And so that's, nice. that's going to be really dope. We've had it for a while. We've just been waiting to get money back from selling all the records. Oh, yeah. I know how that so, goes. Yeah. So I think we're pretty close to doing it. And it's probably my favorite release. It's really dope. Yeah. So, that sounds exciting. Yeah. There's that. Cool. Yeah. So let's get back into the mix. Uh, you're listening to The Bunker New York on Red Bull Radio. And uh, we're here with Turtle Bug. Red Bull Radio. I'm dead ass serious, man. I ain't, I ain't even want to come to this motherfucker. For real, I'm letting y'all niggas know, man. Fuck that shit. Know what I'm saying? I ain't want to come to this motherfucker. I'm in my bed, man. I'm butt fucking naked, man. Fuck that shit. You don't fuck with no nigga when he butt naked. And he ain't getting no sleep from yesterday from getting fucked up all night. Know what I'm saying? Word is bond, man. Fucking record companies be new dudes and niggas as fucking puppets, man. I ain't no motherfucking puppet, man. I'm the old dirty bastard, man. <laughs> yeah. Yo, nah, well, fuck that shit, man. Zoom, zoom, zoom. I'm tired of that shit, man. Motherfuckers, man. How fuck you gonna use me as a motherfucking puppet, man? That, that, you know, that's the, that's the fucking... Niggas is so used to getting used as a motherfucking puppet. It's like, you niggas be ready to get puppet or pupperized. Yo, yo, six. Fuck that 16. shit, man. Shit got to change, man. You go to the motherfucking record companies, motherfuckers want you to motherfucking have a fucking, a fucking, they want you to rhyme, they want you to have a hook, then rhyme and a hook. Fuck that. Let niggas just do what the fuck they want to do, man. Only one that understand this music is niggas. Yo, let my two niggas. You know what I'm saying? And, and the white people gonna like it any motherfucking way. Because white people like anything a nigga do. You know what I'm saying? Shut up and down. It's real right there, right? What? Huh? 
Let a nigga be free. Let a nigga be free. That's why old dirty bastard is the baddest motherfucker. Cause a nigga got to be free. See, I'm that nigga that's running. Y'all niggas, the motherfuckers chasing me with horses, knives, guns, all that shit. And I'm still running, son. I'm swimming. I'm the motherfucker that swam nine miles a mile, nigga. I'm home, nigga.
side.
Hello, you're listening to The Bunker New York on Red Bull Radio. We've been in the mix with Turtle Bug. We just have uh, a couple minutes left and just a few general announcements for The Bunker. We've got a party coming up Saturday, October 7th at Good Room with Dr. Rubenstein, Vril, Halal and Relaxer, Patrick Russell, and then Hot Mix, which is Mike Strabido, Gunnar Hazam, and Justin Cudmore in the second room. And on our record label, we have two releases out next week. One is Adam TM, The Future Nights EP, and the other one is JF Burma, Nomadic EP. For more info on all of that, you can go to our website, thebunkerny.com. And with that, yeah, Turtle's going to close out the show here. Um, Really great show. Thank you, Turtle. And yeah, you're listening to The Bunker New York on Rebel Radio.